Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. This is the Coburn Ventures podcast. It's for our clients, for investors, for our community of industry leaders, fellows, and friends. This is a group that loves the craft of investing, studies change, is dedicated to business analysis and leadership, and all that's behind the scenes of that work. I hope you enjoy it. We're starting today with a story from our guest, biologist Maria Souza. It will give you a taste of how she uses her understanding of complex systems to make real life change. But also, I wanted to put this part of our recording of Maria into the podcast so that those of you who haven't been able to meet Maria yet would get to in her own words. I can describe her as passionate for her work, but it's just not as good as hearing it from Maria. There's one last thing I just wanted to say to you guys that yeah. I'm happy. Uh, for the first time, I got the, the, a team of uh, planning the new strategy of a sector in UNICEF, because now I'm on HIV. And uh, they finally listened about, you know, what is this systems approach? Yeah. And I told them, if you think about it, you, 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 you throw this systems approach everywhere, but people don't really understand what is this system. You're talking about a complex system. You know, if it's a system approach, you really need to understand comp uh, properties of complex systems. And they finally, finally, you know, like opened a window. And I'm so excited because I'm writing uh, the anchoring piece because they want to tackle resilience now in their in UNICEF programming. And I'm just, you know, I'm just like over, I'm like, I can work on this. I, you know, it, this is awesome. <laughs> so when I'm finished, I can even send you guys because this is going to be an applied way to get resilience thinking, to do, you know, programming in, in UNICEF. And it's, it's really nice. It's just a start. It's a small start, but it's like in the right direction. Amazing. And I'm so excited about it. You know, it's really identifying, asking the country offices to identify, are you on a, on a functioning system? Mm -hmm. So can I, can I help you strengthen your resilience? Or are we identifying that you're locked in a non-functioning system and then we need to really do things differently? So now the more formal introduction. This is a long-awaited conversation with biologist and environmental scientist Maria Souza. Maria has taught us so much about complex systems. When we get together with investors to talk with her, she is often amazed by how much investors can apply the abstracts of biology to our work on understanding markets, business cultures, and the likelihood for change. Complex systems are everywhere. Let's learn how to identify them and use them with Maria. I hope you enjoy it. I think my passion about resilience, it really started when, uh, I, I like to say this, I read this book that it was called Ecology of Shallow Lakes. So it's a very specific bio. Wait, 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 back up. <laughs> <laughs> Your passion for resiliency happened when you read a book called the ecology of shallow lakes. Okay, go on. Did yes. someone give this to you as a Christmas <laughs> present? Or... I love this, Maria. Okay. <laughs> Almost. Uh, actually, my, my, my uh, professor, back when I was doing my master's, he came back from this big international conference. And books in Brazil are very expensive. So, you know, you, you have to have your professor getting a small grant to 
get books and bring back to us. So that's what he did. And he brought this book. And the first day I met him, he just came out of his room and he said, this, this is for you. I, I, bought, I brought this because I think you're going to read and like this. So I got that book like it was a treasure. And uh, I started reading immediately and I never put it down. And it's I know it's weird. It's just a bunch of deep dive. Uh, <laughs> what, a, what about it? Yeah. Connected you. Yes, it's a, it's a bunch of um, uh, specific uh, uh, articles, scientific articles. So it's not even just a text, a free flowing text, but they all talk about how shallow lakes are complex systems. And what are the priorities of, uh, and, and the, the, the properties of these complex systems? And how do shallow lakes really work? And I've been working with shallow lakes, you know, back in Brazil, and I have never seen them like that. And it was this beautiful entry of a, a world that I could actually understand. And understanding something that's light, lighting up that bulb in your mind, it's, it's a phenomenal experience. So that's what the book brought me and you know it would go and show me how you know zooplankton works and phytoplankton works and and blooms of cyanobacteria all these things that were so cryptic even back then when i was already doing my masters but with these complex systems approach i could actually finally start understanding how they actually you know worked how their competition worked how were they locked how, how shallow lakes can be locked in, in a system that it's thriving or how shallow lakes can be locked in a system that, you know, there's no fish anymore, everything had died. And, and why is that happening? And why so difficult to change from, you know, that when, the, when that lake lost its resilience and when it, there's no more fish, there's no more oxygen and do how you, difficult do you it remember, is to give Maria, it back. Do you remember one point about resilience when you're reading the book and, or, or internal feedback loop systems? Because mm -hmm. that, as Bryn points, that's nested under resilience as topic. So we're going to go towards internal feedback loop system. Was there one thought in the book where you said about the shallow lakes where you said, oh my God, <laughs> that would be helpful here in us thinking about resilience? Yes. So uh, complex systems, the interesting thing about complex systems is that uh, they consist of multiple and highly interconnected components. So that's the first thing, right? That's why also I was seeing a lake as a complex system, but it can also be our brain. It can also be a company, an organization, and it can be society or the economy. So can you say that again? I want to make sure that I get. So point number one yeah. is that the resilience is in these complex systems have high, high levels of interdependency. You're not saying that there's anything that's removed from interdependency, like we're all dependent on, we're dependent on the sun. I don't think the sun's dependent on us actually, but I don't know. But so you're saying that the, there's a component where like that butterfly effect that everyone knows about is very, very chain linked. Yes, it's, a, it's right? a complex system because it consists of these multiple and highly interconnected parts. Okay, so that, that's the number, number one thing when you say it's a complex system. And then their connections, these connections of part, they lead to emergent collective behaviors or properties. And one of those properties is resilience. So that's the first thing that really uh, uh, were, were, like impressed me. You can't see resilience by separating the parts. 
you will only understanding, understand it as a, a, a property that arises from that interconnection from the parts. And let me see if this is fun. Um, so we wrote a piece, I don't know, three years ago about the tendency I borrowed from Mother Teresa, her fear about the West with all its wealth is that individuals would, and this is my words, attempt to escape the orbit of interdependency. And sort of what you're saying is, A, there's no real escape, but actually if you want this thing called resiliency, you actually have to get more interdependent, not try to escape and control and be the master of your universe. Yes. Because it, that's a faster pace towards failure. Yeah, you're going to simplify your system. You're not going to be part of a complex system anymore. The more you go out of this interconnectedness, or, and, and the, or you're going to, to simply behave separately. You're going to become more and more like an external force for other complex systems as well. That's another way of thinking of it. So simplification, which is another like thing that we have all been pursuing and reduction and controlling our own fate and all those types of things actually may lead to more fragility. It may, it, it, like I told you, it, 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 I often have these conversations and I, I tell something that people forget, which is what are your initial conditions? Initial conditions are extremely important for us to understand how these uh, complex concepts and understandings, uh, they, they, they really anchor that question that you're posing. Because like what we, we, we were talking right before is that uh, these are neutral properties. You know, resilience or uh, complex, this is not necessarily good or bad. <laughs> it, it, it really depends on your initial conditions, right? Where are you? I like how you say, and Bryn was just making the point before we get on that, you know, about this neutrality of resilience, whereas we have been growingly over the past six months thinking it's just this good thing. Because again, I think it's code for survival, not really, I want to understand resilience. About four or five years ago, you made mention of, the New York City school systems. You know, when people say, oh, the system is broken, you kind of lightly correct them and say, no, the system is very resilient. It's extremely hard to change that system. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if you want to change something, you're actually hoping that it doesn't have too much resiliency or you're hoping, and Maria's nodding, so I'm, I'm thinking that I'm on the right track here, <laughs> but, and, or you're hoping that you can find that point of leverage that one little like Luke Skywalker hitting the, the Death Star, you find yes. that point of leverage that magically allows the system to open. But just going head first at a system that's resilient, like the New York City school system, yes. is gonna be super challenging. Well, exactly. I think I, what I hear you saying is that words like complex system, simple system, and resiliency, these are for us to be very aware, not to layer on whether we think that's um, positive or negative, you know, like you were saying, Pep, that even just the word simple seems to be more glorified, um, resiliency, as you mentioned, more glorified, but that's not, that doesn't help us, like you were saying, Maria, to understand what are our initial conditions. We just want to be able to look very plainly and say, yes. am I in a simple system? Am I in a complex system? And that, I guess that's by degree of interconnectedness, which would make something more or less complex. Yes. Because um, complex can sound hard and complicated, but it 
it also sounds like a source of strength sometimes here. Yes. Um, so can we talk about that? Because you were getting at it. Resiliency is neither good nor bad, but what are some of the characteristics of a resilient system? Yes, and then the third aspect of uh, complex systems that I also like to point out is that they present spontaneous self-organization or regulation. Mm. So that's mm. extremely important as well. Mm. And uh, all these three things, you know, being highly interconnected, leading to collective emergent behaviors, meaning that they don't exist with separate parts, and also presenting spontaneous self-organization mm. starts giving us a better idea of what resilience means, right? And uh, one way of uh, looking at resilience is that it's a property to, for the system to maintain its status quo. Right, it doesn't mean, and I think right now resilience is being misused a bit as actually um, evolving and innovating. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, that's actually not it at all. No. <laughs> well, it can, evolving and innovating can be a, a way for you to increase your resilience. Uh -huh. But those things are not synonyms and they don't mean the same thing at all. So can I, um, this is so helpful. So a lot of our, um, uh, the people we work with like to find cultures that will allow ongoing long-term success. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about that with them, if they have certain values of what they celebrate, let's say, um, and let's say it is innovation, or let's say it's problem solving or service orientation or such and such. And they want to be an organization that is called a compounder, something that can keep growing and growing and growing. This, this is ph phenomenal. This third one that you mentioned, I'm glad you slowed us down. The spontaneous self-organization, it's like you don't necessarily have to have an offsite to fix the problem because the organization understands its values, its principles, and spontaneously someone will call a meeting and say, hey, I have this idea and let's say, and then all of a sudden you have a hundred million dollar product two years later. And again, that, that's really important to understand those um, initial conditions because that spontaneous self-organization could be extremely negative as well. Yes, yes. And uh, um, why I like also to say these three things, for instance, a machine, can also be understood as a complex system. Think about it. However, when we get to this third aspect, a machine does not have auto, it, it doesn't go like, it, there's always someone controlling it from the outside, right? This self-architecture and regulation, we don't have machines that are there yet. <laughs> so that, that's the big difference, you know? So it, it really is something that works from within. Okay, so I just want to take a minute here to slow us down because we've learned a lot. We've learned that resilience is a property of a complex system. And though we project value judgments onto it, resilience is objective. Complex systems are objective. They're neither good nor bad. But to help ourselves identify what's going on in our systems and how they're behaving, we ask, what are our initial conditions? And Maria is showing us that there are three properties of complex systems to look for. One is there are multiple and highly interconnected parts. Two 
It leads to collective emerging behavior that didn't exist when those parts were separate. One of these properties could be resilience. You can only have the property of resilience as it arises from the interconnected parts. And the third and last one is that, that it, the system presents spontaneous self-organization or regulation. And that brings us to Maria now teaching us what exactly resilience is and how understanding it will help us use it to adapt and prepare for external stressors. So uh, the resilience then um, it, as a property, as an emergent property of this complex system is this ability of the system to withstand external stressors. And uh, it can be built in a... Um, in, 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 in preparation for you to withstand a stressor that you know, or it can also be built to, to withstand a stressor that you don't know. Mm. So that's one thing also. So that's why also resilience becomes part of our conversations because you can understand it, understand your initial condition, understand your system, understand your level of resilience, and then understand, can I prepare myself can I increase my resilience to withstand stressors that I know are coming? Mm -hmm. Or I don't know what's coming. Like we are on a moment that we really didn't know how this was going to play out. Was there something that we could have done to mm -hmm. withstand better? Yes, we could. And, and many, many things in life and in different complex systems that we are part of or that we interact can also be seen in that way. So going back a little bit more about what resilient is, the, the idea of maintaining the status quo, right? So a way for you to quickly measure if something has high resilience or low, low resilience, it's really to understand time of recovery. If I need a long time to recover after a disturbance, that means my resilience was, was low, right? I didn't have a lot. I needed a lot of time to recover back to my original state before that impact. But if I can quickly absorb that impact and go back, oh, that's a, a high resilient system. Mm. And uh, the, 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 so the idea, it's time, but there's also the idea of amount of disturbance. If the system is receiving impact after impact, but it's still working, it's still functioning, it still has parts that will protect its core functions, that's a high resilience system because it's absorbing all that impact and mm -hmm. it's still moving. That's why one of the things I like so much on Glenn's idea, it's, it's a brilliant idea to test that level of resilience because with a little bit of change, with 10% change, does my, what I'm looking here, does that, that market, that part of mm. that space, did it crash or did it actually, you know, mm -hmm. was able to adapt and stand, withstand that 10% change? So mm. th that's a way for you to understand this uh, general idea of uh, looking at resilience and measuring it through time so, or impact. So Maria, how would you think about, I'm just, I'm trying to put this into place with some of the things we've been talking about with omni-channel work, yeah. that organizations that were used to going to a physical location and doing their work there, that if the zeitgeist or zeitgeist is sometimes viewed as like uh, fluffy, but let's call it zeitgeist, the deep spirit of how society shifting and you see technology, all this type of stuff is moving towards a model where, um, 
it'll be kind of people figuring out how to work in different ways and da 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 da. I have the thought we don't want the resiliency to look like we go right back to where we are. Is there a different word that says, as I take in new signal, I'm resilient, but really I'm evolving healthfully. Yes. How do you find systems that evolve healthfully to the new conditions, not just uh, overcome them? Yeah, that's the, the interesting, it, it seems like a paradox, right? Like, because we are talking about resilience, which is something that it helps us maintain our status quo but we also talk how important it is to evolve and to adapt. <laughs> mm. Why is that? Why these things that seem that they are talking about different things, they can actually be together. It's actually because this complex system that has its self-organization and can work within its parts and interconnectedness, it's in an in external environment that keeps changing. <laughs> mm. So that means uh, a space for novelty, innovation, and for adaptation should exist for that system to keep protecting its core functions, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there's an amount of change that that system should be able to withstand constantly because the external environment, it's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And so resilience is not about being fixed. And it's not about returning always to these same things as they are, right? It's, it's not about that kind of status quo. <laughs> and that, that, that's the other idea that I like that biology, you know, brings it so well. We have what we call dynamic equilibrium. It's, it's an equilibrium, it's a stability, but it's within an environment that keeps changing. We understand that there's a, a there's thresholds for change, even internally speaking, and that's extremely important. So th that level of consistency that people start sometimes that they think it's important, hitting the same numbers or having very uh, low margins for mm -hmm. you know movement, that actually will lock your system. If if you keep pressuring on that, you're actually probably creating connections in your system that you're locking on system and reducing its capacity to adapt and move mm -hmm. in this in, external system. In, in our world, we wrote a uh, piece probably about eight, nine years ago called Tactics Masquerading a Strategy. Mm -hmm. And it was about publicly traded companies that get locked in on um, a specific growth rate ultimately in order to satisfy investors because the pressure builds. And like, so instead of saying we're a company that does this and this and this, they say, we're a 10% grower. Mm. And they, then they literally take on the, we're a 10% grower and they start to do unusual things to hit the 10% growth. Exactly. And it sounds like that's, they've, they've gotten lost in their desire to focus in on one point. They've gotten themselves lost and they become more fragile or brittle. Yes. It's a, it, I think a, a, an interesting metaphor. I don't know if it makes mm. sense, but uh, to you, but what, listening to you say it's like the rings of the tree right mm. certain years are better years so the rings are larger but you know years that mm. are not so good they protect itself that entire tree and it's it's alive for for hundreds of years and because there's this you know fluctuation it's growing but it's going through you know it's following mm. what the environment also is showing it it's not consistently expecting mm. the same size of that ring it, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm.
Okay, so there's so much more to talk about. As you know, we are concerned with learning about complex systems so that we can observe and evaluate the complex systems that exist in our economy and marketplaces, but also so that we can better predict and suggest effective changes when a resilient system is not working properly, or as Maria put it, is about to lock in, perhaps as an unproductive or unhealthy system, and how we can spur productive systems to reinforce themselves. So in part two, we will do just that. We're going to start with internal feedback loops, which is an important part of resilience. So stay tuned. And just a side note, Maria referred to Glenn Lowenstein's exercise to look at what a 10% change could do to impact a particular market. We have a conversation about that with Glenn, which is the seventh in our podcast, if you care to take a listen. Thanks for joining.